Welcome to episode 11 of Smells Like Teen Parent, a podcast for adolescents and the adults who annoy them. I'm your host, Jenny DeBevic, a national certified school counselor and academic consultant with 20 years experience working with youth. In the last episode, we talked about effective teen discipline, internal, external, yours, theirs. And in this episode, we are going to discuss anxiety. I wanted to do an episode specifically on anxiety because it's the number one concern students and parents bring into my sessions. Why are the rates of anxiety and depression skyrocketing? What are the triggers for adolescent anxiety? And what are effective ways to help your kid notice and calm their anxiety? Junior year, this is going to what makes or break college for you. And it's like every time I'm not motivated to do something or just like need a break, I'm like, you can't like you have to do this because this is what like your college applications is dependent on, which I guess is like a motivation at some point. But it's also like, a oh, my God, like I can't fail. I can't do this. I can't mess up. Just like can be very like detrimental at some point if you don't balance it well. It's a lot of pressure. Oh, yeah. You will hear from adult expert David Flores, lead trainer for Mindful Life Project. Mindful Life Project is an amazing program that is transforming schools from the inside out with innovative and comprehensive mindful mindfulness-based social-emotional learning programming. You know, anxiety is really is really a fixation about what might happen next or what might not happen. The fear, right? Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I'm working up all these stories about the future. And the more we remind ourselves, the future, we have no idea actually how it's going to come out. We go to worst case scenario in our brain. So that creates that anxiety, right? So future thinking and the depression is related to past thinking about, I should have done this differently. Regrets, anger's over, ah, this situation should be different. So it's this whole play on getting stuck in future and past thoughts leading to anxiety and depression. And mindfulness helps us realize that this is the only moment we have. And that's simple to say, but also that we have very simple anchors that we can use to come back to the present over and over. Please share and download this episode. Downloading helps raise our data analytics and spread the word to our local and international communities. Your downloads allow me to continue to create frequent content and topics that affect all of us on a regular basis, whether or not we have teens standing in front of us at the moment. This episode is brought to you by Sugar Bear Vitamins, pharmacist-formulated, cruelty-free formulas for your hair, skin, and body. Powered by vegan vitamins, Sugar Bear is vitamins with a purpose. Parents and adult caregivers across the country, across the world, are asking for help. What do I do about my kids' anxiety? Yes, anxiety and depression is far and above the most common reason why students are referred for counseling. The facts are stunning. An American Psychological Association study notes that since 2012, we are seeing alarming exponential increases in rates of mood disorders and suicide-related outcomes, especially with younger-aged females and those who are wealthier. While boys also report greater levels of anxiety, data suggests that this is an epidemic that far and away affects girls and manifests in things like self-harm, eating disorders, and suicidal ideation. I don't know, my generation's identity, it's so hard to strain away from that because there's so much like hyper-consumerism in our environment just bombarding us. You know, there's just so much information and so much like technology and knowledge and people telling us this and telling us this. And there's so much like heavy competition that 
it's hard not to be anxious all the time. It, it would be weird if you weren't anxious. Research shows that chronic stress in biological females actually changes the genetic material as estrogen begins to be produced. The National Institute of Health posits that nearly one in three of adolescents will be diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. That's 33% of our teen population walking around with debilitating anxiety compared with just 19% of us adults. Yes, we're doing fine. Thank you. Thank you very much. Why? Do we not seem fine? My life is a cesspool. I am so, so sorry. The smell is inconvenient for you. It must be very, very nice to have an escape hatch. Furthermore, according to Science Direct, 8.3% of adolescents have severe mental impairment related to their anxiety. In another longitudinal research study about disparities in anxiety among adolescents, Catherine Perotti concluded that anxiety was increasing significantly for several subgroups, including females and sexual minority youth. Why are these rates skyrocketing? Let's just note the correlation between anxiety and the ubiquitous use of cell phones. I'm just saying. Social media is one of the greatest harms of our youth population. There, I said it. The so like social media being so strong, like having such a strong presence in our minds, like when you feel when you feel like you don't fit in, like ties in with anxiety and will definitely like induce it. Sexualization during developmental years is perpetuated by social media. I'm talking about third and fourth graders who are worried about being liked and then obsess with being pretty and skinny and who try to make themselves sexier online so that they will be accepted by this online tribe. When you feel outside of it, when you feel like you don't fit into that standard, mm -hmm. it's just like you almost start thinking like, oh, do I need to? You start kind of panicking. And it's like that panic, like I need to look like this because everyone that I see on social media looks like this. But you know what? Let's back up a minute and clarify. What is anxiety exactly? Well, simply put, it's that feeling of unexplainable dread and apprehension about unrealized threats and unclear dangers that manifest in self-defeating behavior patterns which attempt to avoid the feeling. Sure, in some situations, anxiety is useful. It can help a person cope with challenges and evaluate dangerous situations. From an evolutionary perspective, anxiety helps us anticipate and avoid dangers. That bear on the hill, the pile of writhing snakes, that dark small cave, so that we can stay alive. But now, in Instead of bears, snakes, and caves, young people face other uncomfortable events, tests, presentations, making a popular TikTok video, the news, coming to school in the morning. As a result of this psychological suffering, they manifest physical symptoms including tension, lack of concentration, insomnia, and irritability. I have students as young as seven reporting symptoms of panic attacks, which is a way of the body adjusting to these risky physiological experiences. It comes back to the very fundamentals. Safety. Our ancient brains are constantly trying to make us safe by anticipating the dangers ahead. Let's consider a moment Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If we can learn to manage our anxiety, then we can reconstruct our world as generally safe. If we feel safe, then we can begin addressing those higher needs like nurturing friendships and romantic relationships, contributing to the well-being of the community, becoming the best we can be. However, if anxiety disorders are not addressed, we see increased unhappiness and isolation. Individuals will find it more and more difficult to engage in normal life events and situations. Worry and fear will control their lives. And choices made in fear and worry result in violence, self-abuse, and damaged relationships. But there is another way. And now we're going to talk with our guest expert, David Flores, 
the lead trainer for Mindful Life Project. Mindful Life Project is partnering with Selena Gomez's Rate Impact Fund to expand mindfulness along the West Coast. When that anxious thought first comes up or that first depressive thought comes up, we catch it early enough, we can go, you know what, back to my breath in the present or find a body sensation in the present or find a sound in the present, even naming the emotion back to the present. Mm -hmm. Even naming a thought is back to the present. If we catch that early enough and even integrate those skills, we are being mindful. We're back in our prefrontal cortex. We're back to being alert, awake, attentive, rather than narratives taking on a life of their own and then spiraling out of control. Thoughts and emotions playing off each other just makes it worse and Mm -hmm. worse and worse. And over time, we know that because of the brain science that that gets deeply wired into our brain becomes habit and that becomes our default instead of habits of being present and like you know what i'm okay it's okay Mm -hmm. i can be a a little anxious and and depressed uh sad whatever i but i can name it and it doesn't have to last that long and uh, it's just a visitor and i can come back and it's going to be okay and personally what i found is my own practice in that is that Yes, I still get anxious. Yes, I still get depressed, stressed, all this stuff. But it just doesn't last as long. I can, it's the recovery. It's like this built-in resilience now that wasn't present before. It's like a whole new pathway that you've Exactly. Built. So it's just like training our brain, that resilience. Because we're not trying to get rid of anything. We're not trying to fix. Right. The fixation on like, there's something wrong with me. That's, that's where it becomes problematic. The great thing is that we're talking about mental health and we're, we're recognizing how important that is to take care of as much as physical health. But the other piece is that, that there's that perception now that there's something really wrong with me. Right. I'm wondering how do you use Mindful Life Project to help kids see like there's nothing really wrong with them? Yeah. So we always say mindfulness with heartfulness too. So it's the self-compassion piece, realizing that, you know what, being being a human being is hard. We have strong emotions that come. We have stressors. We have difficulties, challenges, distractions, and we can allow ourselves to soften our approach. We can give ourselves permission to be okay with being this imperfect human. Basically, I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to get everything right. I don't have to meet everybody's expectation. We put this pressure and we hear it. We get the pressure externally from family. We get it from society. So we internalize that and then we can just, we relax and go, you know what? I'm an imperfect human. All we have is the present. I can practice letting little things go, all of that. And just continually just like replaying that. And that becomes a new habit. We say this word equanimity. Okay, we don't have to get too high or too low. We can just kind of like flow with things a little better, right? Stress and difficulty and roadblocks and challenges aren't going away, but it's how we navigate them. Are we going to flip out and be super hard on ourselves because that inner critic's going to be really loud? Or are we going to take, okay, an easier approach and go, you know what? A little heartfulness to wow, I'm having a hard time. I need a little self-compassion. I don't have to wait for somebody to give it to me. I can give it to myself right now. When you get a group of kids who come in, and you start your work with them, what do you kind of observe? Within a full year mm-hmm. of seeing, especially the kids that, that need the most, yeah. we, we can identify that, the most outward or inward behaviors that are present, the most severe. Yeah, it takes a while. It takes a while because one of the one of the strongest pathways that can be present is that inner critic, right? Of like constantly beating yourself up, constantly feeling the sense of worthlessness of I'm not enough. I don't do enough. I don't have this. It's just like negative thinking of yourself. The heartfulness practice uh, is one of the things that can help like ease that and even that out. That's really hard. That's really hard. That's really hard because we're not used to that. Like who's being taught how to do that? 
I certainly wasn't taught that growing up. No. Nobody I knew was taught that growing up. It's like, even as a former teacher, as a parent, as, as a whatever, we're givers. We just like give, 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 give. But what about us? Depleting ourselves all the time. And then we feel guilty if it's like about me. But it's, this is not a selfish thing. This is a necessary thing. This is like innate to who we are, who we are as humans of like, I can do simple things like, you know, self-soothe my body with different like hand on the heart, mm-hmm. you know, stroking of the earlobes, the, mm-hmm. you know, gentle touch of my leg, like whatever physically I can do mentally, like positive affirmations to myself. You know what? I can do this. I am worthy. Block out that mm-hmm. any negative talk. And when we do these practices, noticing how it affects our mood, our emotions, our mental state, our physical body, which are all tied together. You know, hard at first because it could, it's a new habit, but the more we do it, we begin to find it, do it with more ease, just like anything we practice, right? Yeah. And it's such, it, to me, it's the most important practice because if we don't have heartfulness to self, forget access to anything else. And I know this personally, like when I wasn't truly loving myself and valuing myself, I was closed off to everything. Nobody could tell. It didn't matter what people told me about myself because I didn't believe it. I had to internalize my own self-worth before it made sense. And I gave myself permission. Adolescence, all about that peer relationship. They're like, am I like you? Am I worthy of your friendship? Are we relatable? Will you validate me? Am I pretty enough? Am I good enough? Am I strong right. enough, smart enough, et cetera, et cetera? How do we shift that? Be like, you can still have friends. We know that that's a developmental piece that's so important, but also teaching them to like your self-esteem, your heartedness. Yeah, it's both. This is a big problem in our society right now is the constant search for validation outside, right? Yes. Social media has exponentially taken that. Right. We're constantly looking for likes and loves and 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 for people to... To see, everybody wants to be seen and heard. That's a human need. To be seen and heard is probably the most important thing that, that in my opinion, that, that I've seen over and over, that I know is true for me, that matters more than anything. Money, fame, power. Like, I want to be seen. I want to be heard. Wow, I matter. People are really listening to me. You really understand me. Like, who does that? Intentionally. Like, we need a lot more of that. Mm-hmm. And that helps that by itself helps alleviate a lot of the pressure and strain and stress mm-hmm. and difficulty that people are going with just being present. It's the power of the, of caring adult in a child's life is just like, are we being truly present and allowing them to be heard and seen to express themselves without judgment? And that's, that's the other piece, right? It's the non-judgment with mindfulness. Like I'm, I'm just listening. If your own nervous system isn't regulated, you can't be available for people like that. There you go. Right. Like there's so the advice to parents, right? Yeah. What, this is what why, can you do? Exactly. This is why self-care is so important, especially this is why we work in schools and why we work with teachers is mm-hmm. because we're like, you matter too, teacher, principal. Mm-hmm. Like if you're not taking care of your own nervous system and your own health and well-being, you're not going to be able to show up fully present for kids in a healthy way. That's just how it is, right? That's Thank you, David. Check out mindfullifeproject.org for more information. So let's reiterate, anxiety is a normal emotion. But if your child exhibits these signs of anxiety, pay attention. Feeling worried or afraid without specific reasons. Becoming anxious about daily routine events or activities. Constantly checking to make sure that tasks are done correctly. Panicking to the extent that they can't do the task, such as completing a test or participating in an activity. If you notice your child suffering from any of these symptoms, you can talk to their school counselor, make an appointment with your pediatrician, and start looking for a therapist that specializes in adolescent issues. And don't give up. Finding a suitable mental health care professional for your kid can take time, and it can be frustrating navigating the system and dealing with insurance. You are not alone in this frustration. 
Guess what the number one protective factor of helping adolescents manage anxiety? It's you. Connection with stable adults, especially primary caregivers, are the leading way that teens can learn to regulate their own nervous system. All the more reason to engage in your own process of self-awareness, self-care, and the work of learning to regulate yourself. Our kids are biosynchronous organisms, and they're going to pick up what we give out. Well, that's it for this episode. Please like, subscribe, follow. Thank you again, David Flores, lead trainer for Mindful Life Project. And for my student contributors, I so appreciate hearing your voices. Join us next time, where we discuss one of the most important and and maybe least appreciated qualities of parenting, humor. May you be safe. May you be healthy. May you be free from suffering. Oh, and don't forget to wear sunscreen every day. 